بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلل قذتم من لساني يفقه قولي All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and seek his assistance and we seek his guidance and we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evils of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees guidance upon then none can misguide him and whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees misguidance upon then none can guide him and peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is his final messenger. My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome all to episode number 12 of our series, A Blast from the Past, Seerah in the 21st Century. We're going to continue today, my dear brothers and sisters, with the days after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam became a prophet. Yesterday we, we discussed two phenomenons. First, the, the first phenomenon was he sallallahu alayhi wasallam becoming a prophet. And this phenomenon marked another phenomenon. And that was the beginning of revelation. Because he became a prophet with revelation descending right so this is the interesting element when we talk about rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam becoming a prophet because him becoming a prophet marked the beginning of revelation and yesterday subhanallah we got stuck on iqra not got stuck in that we had nothing to say there was so much to say that the entire session went whilst we discussed iqra which means today we will continue with lessons that we can extrapolate and deduce from him sallallahu alayhi wasallam becoming a prophet. And as we said yesterday, we entered a new phase um, in terms of our episodes because the previous episodes detailed incidents and events from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam before prophethood. Before prophethood. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us barakah in our time and in our energies and health. As you can see, I'm running a slightly thin voice still. And I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it remains so that we can continue learning insha'Allah. As a recap, yesterday we discussed one important point that I just want to make sure fed through to you all. We discussed the revelation of the Qur'an. How did we say the Qur'an was revealed? How? Remember we said it was in two phases. How many phases? Two phases. Who can list these phases for us? Yes, so we had a wholesome revelation from the preserved tablet to the house of honor, which is on the first heaven, as per the teaching of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. And we said this happened in the month of Ramadan and on the night of power. And then the second revelation was from the house of honor to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam over the course of 23 years or just over 23 years uh, as per the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this was a very important uh, footnote that we shared because it helps um, clear the fog that some of us have when we discuss the ayah in the Qur'an where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ That the month of Ramadan was the month in which the Qur'an was revealed. As well as the ayah إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ That we revealed this Qur'an on the night of power. Moving on brothers and sisters, we also learn from the lengthy hadith we discussed yesterday citing the beginning of revelation that this Qur'an was not from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Where do we learn this from? We learn this from the fact that when Jibreel grabbed him three times, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and squeezed him till he felt that he could not breathe, 
He, Rasulullah wasallam, answered back saying, Ma ana biqari' That I am not a reader. I am not a reciter. I am unlettered. This was the reality of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He himself cited himself as being unlettered. Now, we see some refutations happening online. Right? There's certain people who believe that if you say Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was unlettered, then this is being disrespectful to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is incorrect. He himself is saying, I am unlettered. What we are citing is a fact out of love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that we be true to what his reality was. And he sallallahu alayhi wasallam told us that his reality was that he was unlettered. And this was not something uncommon. Right? There were few people who traversed the ranks and were known for their abilities to read and cite poetry and so on and so forth. But it wasn't uncommon for people to be unlettered at the time. It wasn't uncommon. And remember, during our very first sessions together, we said that there were civilizations that existed and citing these, this group of people in the Middle East as we know it today to be a, a civilization, one could argue against it. One could argue against it if we look at the definition of civilization. If we look at the definition of civilization, one could argue that this uh, 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 word cannot be applied to those people in Mecca and its surrounding areas to actually call them a civilization. And it is said that they lived between two civilizations, the Romans and the Persians. And that was the earlier sessions that we shared together. So this is not being disrespectful to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is from being truthful to his history, truthful to who he was sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So he said, ma ana biqari. We learn from this that this Quran was not from him. This Quran was not from him. And this refutes those who says that he learned this from previous scriptures that he got his hands on sallallahu alayhi wasallam during his travels when he went for trade as we cited him trading with the slave boy of Khadija radiallahu anha, whose name was Maysara. They engaged in some trade and they traveled to other lands. And also those who say that he learned this from Bahira, the famous monk in the story that we cited earlier and dedicated a session uh, towards that particular incident. So the Quran is not from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It is a revelation from Allah, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, Al-Wahidul Qahar, via a mighty angel, Jibreel alayhi salam. The entire process is so powerful, it's free from any mistake happening in terms of this revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exonerates Jibreel alayhi salam from any blame and teaches us the mighty nature of this angel and also exonerates Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam from any blame, teaching us that he was infallible. And Allah said, That he never said anything from himself. Everything he said was revelation, protected revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you and I together discussed the definition of ma'asum and being infallible in previous sessions. For those who missed it, please revise our previous episodes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even in his book, teaches us in many an ayah that this Quran is not from Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, both directly as well as indirectly. In terms of the indirect ayat, then we see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, Alif laam meem, thalika al-kitab. Alif laam ra. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to the Qur'an and its ayat using words that denote something coming from afar. From afar. Tilka and thalika in the Arabic language are known as pointing words. We use to reference things using these words. Right? If I want to say this is my phone, I say, Hadha jawalun. I use the term hadha to denote that it's close to me. But if it's far away, I say, That phone. To denote that it's, it's far away. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to his book as, Nothing in the Quran is access to requirement. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Some people ask, Why did Allah say, When the Quran is between our hands, the Quran is coming out from the mouth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's close. Why did Allah say, 
Why did Allah say tilka ayat? Those are the ayat. As if it's coming from afar. The reason is because it has come from al-lawh, al-mahfuz, from the preserved tablet. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to his book as tanzeel, as something that has been revealed. Revealed. And something that has come from above, not from within, not from close proximity. And this is an indirect way of understanding that the Qur'an is not from Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Rather this Qur'an is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, Al-Wahid Al-Qahhar, Al-Ahad, Al-Samad, Al-Ladhi Lam Yalid, Walam Yulad, Walam Yakullahu Kufuwan Ahad, subhanahu wa ta'ala. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, that seeking knowledge begins with one mighty phrase. And that phrase is Bismillah. In the name of Allah. I do this in the name of Allah. I start this in the name of Allah. I practice this in the name of Allah. Because the first revelation says, Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. Read in the name of your Lord who created you. Bismillah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught us that anything that is void of Bismillah is cut off. Abtar, cut off. Cut off from what? Cut off from blessings. Cut off from barakah. And we know today how we complain that our time lacks blessings and our wealth lacks blessings and our activities lack blessings and our knowledge lacks blessings. For you to learn knowledge properly, it has to start with Bismillah. And for you to do anything properly, it has to start with Bismillah. In fact, saying Bismillah stops you doing haram. Stops you doing haram. Our teachers used to tell us that have a habit of saying Bismillah. And if there's something that you cannot say Bismillah before doing, then know that you should not be doing it. If you, no one can say Bismillah before doing a haram act. Not so? Can you say Bismillah and backbite? You can't. Can you say Bismillah and sign a riba transaction? You can't. There's no barakah that's going to come in this. It's haram. It's obsolete as far as the sharia is concerned. So having a habit of saying Bismillah keeps you on the straight and narrow. It keeps you doing that which you're supposed to be doing. No one can consume anything haram saying Bismillah. You can't. Nobody can light a cigarette saying Bismillah. Can you do that? Yourself, you know this is wrong. Your natural disposition does not allow this. Except if you somebody, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from becoming that. Where you're so far, where you can, you're so far off and swerved off the path that is considered to be the straight and narrow, that you are in a situation called sea and confusion, that you don't know right from wrong. But rightfully nobody can light a cigarette and say Bismillah. Nobody. They know it's khabith. And they know that there's no Bismillah for khabith. That which is impure and that which is harmful. And from the ways of the messengers, يُحِلُّ لَكُمُ الطَّيِّبَاتِ was to make halal for you that which is good. وَيُحَرِّمُ عَلَيْكُمُ الْخَبَائِثِ And they made forbidden for you that which was filthy and impure. We also learn, brothers and sisters, the methodology of dealing with somebody in distress. Where do we learn this from? From Khadija radiyallahu anha. Khadija radiyallahu anha May Allah gather us with our mother in Jannah. Ameen. She dealt with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in such an amicable manner. This is a person in distress, heart beating violently, seeing something of the unseen, something unnatural, something you and I wouldn't believe. And she, he goes to his wife shivering. Saying, cover me, cover me, as we saw. But we see how she dealt with the situation. She didn't ask for details. She calmed the situation down first. She attended to the needs of the person in distress first. She understood that the person is more important than the point, and we're going to come to that as well. You and I would probably say, this person has become insane. My husband has become insane. What is he talking about? Seeing an angel of this magnitude, of this many wings and so on and so forth, and then it fits into a small cave. We know aghar in the Arabic language refers to a narrow cave. The kahf refers to 
a spacious cave. Surah Al-Kahf. Al-Ghar refers to a narrow cave. No. She taught us the methodology of how to deal with people, how to calm people down, and how to calm the situation down. Today, subhanAllah, we see people, may Allah protect, an accident happens, and a person is in shock, and this person will say to them, I used to always tell you, wear your seatbelt, you don't listen. Is that the time to say that? Yeah, we know. Is that the time to say that? A person is in shock, subhanAllah. Is this the time to say these things? No, this is not the time to say these things. Every situation has a place and moment. And this is from wisdom. Doing the right thing, the way it should be done, at the right time, in the right place. This is hikmah. This is putting everything in its place. This is from being wise. We calm the situation down. We understand the person is more important than the point. Let's not lose the person in the process. When the time is right, we'll deal with it. And this is what she did, radiallahu anha. She said golden words. I told you when we, when we studied the husband-wife uh, relationship in the previous episodes, that she said words which should be written in gold, and in fact, they are planted in the history books in gold, even though they're written with ink. She says, Wallahi la Allahu abada, calming the situation down. I don't want to find out details, but I'm telling you by Allah, whatever happened, don't be concerned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never disgrace you. And then she started praising Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and we discussed this yesterday, what she said. Calm the situation down. Bring some sanity in a circumstance that seems insane. And when she calmed him down, he spoke. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He spoke Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, how not to act in haste. Al-ajalatu min shaytan And we've discussed this time and time again. Acting in haste is from shaytan. The Islamic narrative and discourse is to be people of patience. And she was patient. Some people, subhanAllah, they want to know now and now what happened. What happened? Cover me, cover me. Listen, what happened? Okay, I'll cover you, but first tell me what happened. <laughs> That's how some people are. We act in haste. We need to calm down and learn patience. Again, understand the person is more important than the point. Put your curiosity to bed for a while and understand there's a person who needs your help. She was patient. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, that when we have an issue, only speak it to the person who loves you and sincerely cares for you. Don't go out and start hanging out your dirty laundry, especially issues between husbands and wives. Because husbands and wives forgive each other, but people will not forget what you said. They will not forget. You go and say something about your husband, tomorrow you'll forgive him. Your friend will remember what you said about him. You say something about your wife outside, she will for, you, you will forgive her tomorrow. But a person will remember, you've, you, there's a stain in terms of your spouse that you've left outside. You'll forget it. That stain, you'll no more see it. But other people will. If you have an issue, go to your spouse. Speak to your spouse. Muhammad went straight home. And this is a lesson of how a female, I'm reinforcing and reconsolidating what we discussed in the previous episode, we spent an entire hour, one and a half hours, right, about the home. How we learn about the home from the marriage of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa to Khadija radiallahu anha. I think it was episode 9, wallahu alam. We learn how she made that house an abode and a home. That Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa had no second thoughts. By default, I mean, a person who is in such a state of shock, they don't think. So which means he went there sallallahu alayhi wa by default. That's where his natural instinct and human nature was to be. Or directed him to be. Do you see this? Which means she had a history of being there for him. A history of supporting him. A history of loving him. Radiallahu anha. It doesn't happen overnight. You know this, it doesn't happen overnight. For you to have default, when you're in a state of shock, you do things you can't explain. But you know it's from your subconscious. 
right? There's books which are written about the subconscious and the adaptive subconscious and how to tap into this unmanned memory of the brain that goes unused. It's a very powerful place. It has a lot of our functions, a lot of our defaults. When you're in shock, you stop, you stop functioning based on your prefrontal cortex and, and natural consciousness, right? Some default mechanism takes over. So the fact that he ran home without thinking shows the reality of the home of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and what a mighty female Khadija radiallahu anha was. So brothers and sisters, do not hang your laundry out to dry, your dirty laundry. Keep it between people and have patience. Sometimes, you know, you don't have to immediately escalate a matter and start calling your parents and, and calling his parents or you calling her parents when a matter happens. Not every problem from the beginning requires this kind of intervention and arbitration, right? We learn this from the seer of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We also learn, brothers and sisters, how to be selfless and not selfish. And we learn this again from Khadija radiallahu anha. For not only did she calm the situation of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam down, and we also learn, by the way, before I move on, how to be active and proactive, not reactive. Reactive, sometimes we need to be reactive. But most of the time we should be proactive because being proactive averts a catastrophe. And prevention is better than cure. In the Sharia, we have a principle. Prevention is better than cure. This is a fiqh principle. The scholars of fiqh have discussed this. When you are proactive, you avert a catastrophe from happening. And that is the better usage of resources. Because when the catastrophe and calamity strikes and you have to deal with it, you don't have enough time, you have to act immediately. So the mistakes are going to happen. How you use your finances, how you use your resources, right? Especially if you don't have experience in dealing with with. with Reactive matters with, with disasters. But preventing it allows you time, allows you to run that risk analysis, allows you to run due diligence, right? Allows you to understand the micro and the macro. There's time. You're preventing a disaster from happening. We learned this from Khadija radiallahu anha. For not only did she calm Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam down, she was proactive in that she worked the steps forward. He said, don't worry, I have somebody, one of my relatives. We will go ask him about what you have seen. You see, proactive. Calm the situation and then work the way forward. Amazing woman, wallahi. Wallahi. I know we, want, we wish we named our daughters Khadija, right? Inshallah, Allah give you another daughter to name her Khadija. Give us all. Ameen. Amazing woman, wallahi. If only we pondered. I told you, the series is fiqh sirah We don't want to be storytelling. Alhamdulillah, there's a lot of series out there. Let's have pit stops with these events. And let's try and ponder. And as I've told you, what I share with you is a drop in the ocean. What I leave out is much more. Sometimes because the audience is not the right audience for it. And sometimes because we just can't. It's not humanly possible given the time that we have. I've been confined to 45 minutes and I take an hour every day. And sometimes one hour, 20 minutes. May Allah... Reward the brothers for being patient with me. Ameen. So Khadija radiallahu anha was proactive. She worked the way forward. She spoke to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam about waraqah. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, for those who ponder how not to blow matters out of proportion. This is a common human trait, especially today in the 21st century. And we're talking about lessons from the seerah in the 21st century. This is a common problem. What happens? We globalize issues until we feel it's beyond our ability to sort them out. This is what we do. We blow it out of proportion. Look at Khadija radiallahu anha. She's hearing something she's never heard in her life. And she was 15 years older than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So she's seen life longer than him. But is she blowing matters out of proportion? No. In da'wah, brothers and sisters, in our organizations, in our corporate companies, in our schools, 
as committee members of masajid. Take a deep breath and take a step back. Don't be quick to become claustrophobic. Start blowing matters out of proportion. Having knee-jerk reactions to your, manage, um, your management style. Start blurting out things, firing people, hiring people, shifting things. Take a step back. Take a deep breath. We can, let's see. Let's see. Maybe we can play a part in stopping this, this problem from spilling over. There's a story of a young boy that was once on the beach. The water or the high tide didn't come in. Or it came in and then dissipated quickly until several starfish were left on the beach. Tens or hundreds, Allah knows best. Now we know starfish, if they're out of water, what happens to them? They dry up, right? So this little boy, little boy is picking up the starfish and throwing them one by one into the water. Throwing them one by one into the water. So, so he's throwing starfish back into the water. This is what he's doing. So this corporate tycoon person comes to him and says, What are you doing, young man? So I'm throwing the starfish in the water so they don't die. He says, but there's so many starfish. What's the point? You're not going to get all the starfish. So whilst he's talking, this young boy is holding a starfish in his hand. And this person is saying, what benefit are you causing? You're wasting time. You're not going to get them all in. So he looked at his starfish in his hand and he threw it in the water. And he told the man, the corporate man, the knowledgeable man, go ask that starfish what he thinks of what I'm doing. Because that starfish was saved. Right? So we can make an impact. Even if it's small, we can. We shouldn't globalize matters such that we cause ourselves to become claustrophobic and shut out to it. Especially in this day and age, brothers and sisters. We know Islamophobia. We know people who are Muslims misrepresenting Islam. They misrepresent Islam. They're coming on the media and giving messages that Wallahi if Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was here, Allah knows best, he would shut these messages down. They don't conform to the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and his messenger. This is the time when we need to stop globalizing and just remaining passive. And as people who know and know that we know and know what's right from wrong, need to speak out and educate the ummah. That this fringe type of messages that come out from Muslims who have become misguided does not represent Islam. Islam is what's in the Quran and what is the Sunnah. Taraktu fikum ma in tamasaktum bihi lantadillu ba'di abada. Kitab Allahi wa Sunnati. I have left with you two things. If you hold steadfast upon them both, you will never ever go astray. The book of Allah and my Sunnah. This is what he said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. I am shocked. I'm shocked at some of the youth and their thought processes at the moment without going deeper into the discussion because it's beyond the scope of this class. But I am absolutely shocked at it. Wallahi. Firstly, it's a sign of, of the times and how our youth are switched on. But secondly, how vulnerable they are and how gullible they are and how the internet has brought that which is far closer and they read and accept anything they read irrespective of source. We have to educate our children, brothers and sisters. This is the time, and we discussed this yesterday, we'll talk about ilm. Remember I said, how many times can you listen to talks about being a good husband and being a good wife and being a good in-law and don't be an outlaw? <laughs> and so on. And how many times do we want nasiha? Let's learn that which give, gives us iman boosts daily. How? By learning true knowledge. But we need to stop plucking at the trees and start working on the roots. Remember that statement I shared with you in the earlier episodes? So much nasiha. We spend thousands of dollars. This sheikh, why? Because he's a famous sheikh. He fills up the masjid to come and talk about what? Same topics. Same topics. We're not saying it's not important. But as we said yesterday, there has to be a balance between knowledge and nasiha. If all the talks are on nasiha, what's going to happen? 
Wallahi, I came across a brother in my da'wah, a young boy, a young boy. He tells me himself, he goes, you know what? I was a great follower of the Facebook sheikhs. And he mentioned too, he says, I listened to every talk of this, every talk of them. Why did you listen to their talks? He says, because they speak lay. The message is lay. You know? You, Sheikh Sajid, might say in Seer Alam and Nubala, you know that. We don't know that book. That's, uh, we don't want those talks. He goes, I was a walking, talking person. The jokes these, mashay, these, these speakers did and so on. And there's no blame to them. They're doing their da'wah. Everybody is doing their da'wah. The problem is the community, that there's no vision in the community. When we, when we invite mashayikh, we just invite the same people to do the same thing. As I said yesterday, we beat the same message out of a different box. He says, you know what? I was walking, talking. Walking, talking. These videos, these ahadith, what they would say, the jokes, the statements, the everything, walking, talking. People used to think at school, I'm a sheikh. But I should just sit and watch these talks. MashaAllah, that's good. That's good. But what happened to him? He says, I almost fell into atheism. Or in fact, I would have considered myself an atheist. He says, in class, there was a debate about the presence of God. And naturally, I was put in, naturally, I'm walking, talking. Uh, version of YouTube, of, da, of the da'wah on YouTube, the biggest da'wah on YouTube, right? He says, I was put into a class, I was put into the team that argued for God, and I was battered down with arguments I had no response for, until I started doubting myself for months. And then he came to my course in Dubai, and he did ask a question, that's why my, my site caught eye of this boy, because he was a young boy, and he put up his hand, he goes, Sheikh, I was teaching Surah Yusuf. And he said, Sheikh, can you tell me about objective morality? Allahu Akbar. How old are you, young lad? I think he was 14 or something. Objective morality. He was confused. He's been hearing these things. Now he says, stop listening to those talks. Didn't benefit, but didn't, meaning they did benefit me. But I needed a balance. Those talks were not everything. That's what I'm telling you, brothers and sisters. You know, when we talk about talks, in the, you don't need the big sheikh, the name, the name of the sheikh to be the biggest thing on the banner. Right? I'm repeating because we have new faces in the audience. I like that banner there, the fiqh of food and clothing. The topic is bigger than the name of the speaker. The topic denotes the inheritance of Rasulullah That should be enough to take you out of your home. That should be enough. Not the person. Our, our, my teachers used to tell me, and this is famous amongst the pious predecessors. Ar-rijalu yu'raf bil-haq. Wal-haq la yu'raf bil-rijal. People are known by what they say, if it conforms to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And the truth is not known by the one who says it. It's not that this person said it, so it must be the truth. No, 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 no. We benchmark what he said against what the Qur'an and the Sunnah says. If it's good, we accept it. If it's not, we reject it. Right? I don't want to take yesterday's session in. Please go back and revise it. It's online. And I'm speaking to you from my heart. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying the application is wrong. The mashayikh, it's their right to teach. And every sheikh has his style. Every propagator has his style. But you as a community, understand what you need. You need more ilm than nasiha. Yes, we need nasiha, dinu nasiha. But you understand when I say nasiha, I mean the generic topics of how to, how to be a good husband and, and how to respect your parents. And the generic, this is important. But you will get there if you took solid ilm in the first place. You wouldn't need someone to come tell you to come clip your leaves if your roots were in order. I'm shocked at the statement of some of the youth here about events in Iraq at the moment and, and they, they, they thought processes about it. It needs to be sorted out. And that's why I, in the, in the Jummah khutbah I said, you need to start going to learn the book of Iman and the book of Fit and go find a trustworthy, knowledgeable sheikh, and say, you know what? This book from Sahih al-Bukhari, teach it to me. Kitab al-Iman, teach it to me. Kitab al-Fitan, teach it to me. Yes, it sounds boring. Kitab al-Iman. You know, as we said yesterday, the names have to, have to be modified. Right? I told that that's, it's true. When, when I came here, let me say it for the brothers that were, were not here yesterday. I told, they said, what are we learning? I said, fiqh I said, sheikh, that won't, uh, 
Fiqh Sirah, nobody will come. You know? Blast from the past, yes. <laughs> People will come. Let's, let's, let's cut all the nonsense out. Right? Let's understand this, this ilm doesn't need us, we need it. And this ilm has an aura and importance. It's either you get on the bandwagon or you stay behind. It has an aura and importance, respect it. It's the inheritance of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The fact that you love him should push you towards that knowledge because that's the closest thing you have to him because that's what he left behind. That's what he left behind. Subhanallah. I'm amazed by the people who say, you know, this was the slipper of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and it's in this museum and this is the hair and so on and so forth. And where are you from the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? That which is dearer than his slipper, subhanallah. The ilm that was revealed to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he left behind, touch it and you've touched him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You want to pull the cloak of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Pull the knowledge, that's what he left behind. You want to run with him sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Run with his ilm, you'll be running with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You want to have a sitting with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam? Sit with his ilm, you'll have a sitting with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Inshallah, this is a sitting with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Metaphorically, of course, but you understand what I'm saying? May Allah gather us with him in Jannah. Ameen. Ameen. So, I was telling the young impressionable youth, go and find a teacher to teach you Kitabul Iman and, 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 and Kitabul Fitr. This is the time when you learn what's right from what's wrong and stop reading social media telling you this is how it is and this is how it isn't. Theory is popping up from everywhere. As I said in the khutbah from every Muhammad, Yusuf and Hussein. Everybody is, is giving their views. No. Go and learn what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam's view was. We sidetracking a bit, but nonetheless an important point. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, that we are allowed to praise somebody to his face. Yes, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam did say that if somebody praises you, throw sand in his face. But here we see Khadija radiallahu anha praising Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Our scholars joined between the narratives, joined between what we have from the seerah and the sunnah. And they taught us that the praise which is not allowed is when you butter a person. You know, when you butter them. You know? Say, brother, mashallah, you lost so much weight, it must be 20 kilos. And you don't even believe he's lost weight. Right? Trying to butter somebody. This is haram. This is not allowed. Right? Or when you overpray somebody, you give him titles and things which he isn't. Right? The most amazing, the undisputed, the, the, the. We start giving them titles, but they're nothing of this. This praise is haram. But if you mention something that is praiseworthy, but you're not saying it as praise, you're not saying it to make the person arrogant, you're saying it as a fact, this is allowed. What she said about him, radiallahu anha, about him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when she said, you maintain the bonds of kinship. I hope you did your homework and listened to that talk. Did you find it? You didn't look. Maintain the bonds of kinship. You look after the poor, you, you look after the needy, you help those in distress. It's praising, but it's a fact. Like how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, I am, I am the best of the children of Adam. I am the head and the best. And it's not, I'm not praising myself. This is fact. I'm telling you that I am. Allah has told me that I am. This is fact. Allah has made me the best. I'm not saying it arrogantly out of praise. I'm stating a fact. So we learn that we are allowed to praise. And the reason why I'm citing this brothers and sisters is because today we only criticize. This is what we do. Criticize, criticize, criticize. Subhanallah, it's as if we ran away from praising somebody and fell into another hole. There's the middle way. We shouldn't praise lying and we shouldn't criticize only. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if you speak, speak in a just way. If you mention somebody's bad, also mention they're good. Right? If you mention somebody's bad, also mention they're good. This is from being just. And when you mention they're good and it's true about them, this praise is permissible. This praise is permissible. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, and this is a powerful message for all of us here, that if you intend Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then fasten your seatbelt, 
and get ready for the turbulence that you're going to fly into. It's the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that whoever wants to walk the path of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the anbiya, that they will face opposition. Because Allah made this a universal law for his anbiya alayhim salatu wa salam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in his book, in Surah Al-An'am, Ayah 112, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ عَدُوًّا شَيَاطِينَ الْإِنسِ وَالْجِنِّ يُوحِي بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَى بَعْضٍ زُخْرُفَ الْقَوْلِ غُرُورًا وَلَوْ شَاءَ رَبُّكَ مَا فَعَلُوا فَذَرْهُمْ وَمَا يَفْتَرُونَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and thus we have made for every prophet an enemy. From mankind only? No, from jinnkind as well. From the devils of the jinn. We've made enemies for this prophet. This is the sunnah of Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, inspiring to one another decorative speech in delusion. But if your Lord had will, they would not have done this. Meaning it's the sunnah of Allah that they're doing it. Allah will that He tests. He tests those who want to walk the path that leads to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah says, so leave them and that which they invent. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ عَدُوًّا مِنَ الْمُجْرِمِينَ وَكَفَى بِرَبِّكَ هَادِيًّا وَنَصِيرًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, And thus we have made for every prophet an enemy from among the criminals. But sufficient is your Lord. Sufficient is your Lord as a guide and helper. This is what we do brothers and sisters in the da'wah. We turn to Allah. When the shayateen and mankind who wish evil for us close our right, and close our left and stand in front of us and block our behind and at the bottom we have the ground we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala above Allah is enough for us as a guide and as a helper in surah al-a'raf Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us the message of shaytan Allah says Shaitan tells Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after he was expelled that I'm going to attack them from, from the front and from behind and from their right and from their left and you will see many of them are not thankful. Many of them will not be from those who are thankful. Many of them will not recognize your blessings. But did Allah or did Shaitan say he will attack us from above? No. That is there for a believer to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like Yusuf alayhi salam. وَغُلِّقَتِ الْأَبَوَابِ The doors were shut, bolted, غُلِّق غُلِّق This is an intensified form of the verb. It wasn't just closed. It was bolted shut. And she said, come to me. What did he say? Everything was shut. She was in front. The door behind was locked. The windows were bolted shut. He said, مَعَاذَ Allah." He sought refuge in Allah. Immediately he turned to the open avenue. Understand, my dear brothers and sisters, in da'wah, you will face difficulties, both from people as well as from the shayateen. And when I spoke to my team this afternoon, I said this to them, right? Shaytan is going to, he will not leave you. Shaytan will not leave you, brothers and sisters. He will not leave you. Wallahi, you will become the biggest project when you intend Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is how shaytan is. He promised Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Your job is to be from the minority. Shaitan said, you'll see the majority he will take with him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the sunnah, that is the minority that remains upon guidance. It's the minority that follows the prophets. Look at the prophet, the anbiya alayhim salatu wasalam. How many followed them and how many disbelieved? Right? The majority, and that's why this concept of the right being with the majority is not always true. Allah says, If you were to follow the majority of people on the face of this earth, they will send you astray. Majority. 
Allah says, وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ Allah takes a qasam by time and says, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانِ Indeed mankind, all of mankind, this alif and lam before the noun teaches us that mankind refers to all of mankind. لَفِي خُسْرِ is in a state of loss. Except for who? The minority. The minority of mankind is guided. And who are they? Amanu, they believe. وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And they do good deeds. وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالْحَقِّ And they advise towards that which is true. وَتَوَاصَوْ بِالصَّبَرِ And they advise to patience and upon patience. If you want to be a da'i, you need to have the tarbiyah of a da'i. And I say this to my team members as well. I know, mashallah, there's a revival. People want to get involved. But brothers and sisters, understand what you're getting involved in. Because what happens is, we see many, mashallah, impression, impressionable people come into the da'wah, work with an organization, and then suffer fatigue. Or what we say, they've been, they, 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 they suffer a bite, a da'wah bite. We say the da'wah bitten. They get out of the da'wah and it's become like a phobia. You tell them, get back in, subhanallah, they have sleepless nights. <laughs> Why? They didn't realize what they're getting into. Realize number one, what you're getting into, and train yourself for it. Expect the test. Expect Allah to test you. And be holistic in understanding what is a test. Don't just think a test is, I lose my job. A test is, people will start backbiting me and going around the community and saying, don't take ilm from this person. Don't think the test will be people spoiling my name in community. One of the biggest tests you'll go through is the test of your sincerity. It's the test of your sincerity. Wallahi, you'll be tested. Sincerity is hard, wallahi. It's hard, especially in this da'wah age that we're just discussing hype and fans, marketing. Sincerity is hard. Many of many a time we don't think of this. We don't understand what we, how we're being tested. Sincerity, wallahi, is, is one of the greatest things that will be tested. To make sure you proper. To make sure you true when you say you intend Allah. And it's not that you intend anything else. أَحَسِبَ النَّاسِ يَقُولُوا آمَنَّا وَهُمْ لَا يُفْتَنُونَ وَلَقَدْ فَتَنَّ الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِهِمْ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, is it enough? Does mankind think it's enough to say, I believe? Because uh, to be left alone because they said I believe and Allah won't test them? Allah is going to test your statement to see whether you walk the talk. Do you really believe? Allah tested those before. Allah says, indeed we tested those before. فَلَيَعْلَمَنَّ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ صَدَقُوا and thus Allah will make manifest who truly believes. And Allah will make manifest those who say they, they intend Allah, but they intend other things. They intend, they're free, they want to pass time. They've got nothing better to do. I'm going because you know that organization has that sheikh. I'm not saying you should not wish to be in an organization because they have a specific sheikh or speaker. But that shouldn't be the purpose. That shouldn't be the intention. That can be a reason, but not the purpose. The purpose should be Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And many a time we cause harm to ourselves because the intention is not in the right place. We're not benefiting from the da'wah and we start blaming the organization, start blaming the structure, start blaming the people. Then shaitan uses it as a great way to get into our system because we open, a, we open a gap in our firewall. He gets into us and he makes us start hating people in the da'wah. We start backbiting and we don't know. Allahul Musta'an. And the reason why we like this is because the intention wasn't correct in the first place. All that's happening is we're being exposed. May Allah protect us. The speaker included first and foremost. I told you the hadith yesterday about the man who will be flung into the hellfire. When he stands in front of Allah and says, I was a person of knowledge and a person of da'wah and propagation and inviting to your way. Allahul Musta'an. Allah will say, you lied. You did it for name, for fame, for whatever other reasons. And you enjoyed it. There's nothing left for you here. 
وَقَدِمْنَا إِلَى مَا عَمِلُوا مِنْ عَمَلٍ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ هَبَاءً مَنْثُورًا Allah is just. Allah will reward us. But He'll reward us in the dunya. So when we get to Him, we have nothing. May Allah protect us. That's why brothers and sisters, thank Allah. When goodness comes to you, thank Allah. Thank Allah. So that goodness is not reward for your worship in this dunya. And you have nothing with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the akhirah. When you do good and Allah gives you, thank Allah. Increase your tahmeed. Increase your, 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 your ibadah. Increase. Thanking Allah for this good that He gave you. So that you have storage in the hereafter. Not that it's given to you in the dunya. I had an easy life and so on and so forth. And you get to Allah and He tells you it was given to you. All those eases you had when other people were in difficulty, what do you think it was? Look at Sulaiman alayhi salam. When he talks about Allah, when he, he, he listens to this ant, enter your homes. He can hear. Allah gave him the, the power to. Don't let Sulaiman and his army trample you. He smiled. He smiled. He smiled, right? And what did he say? This is from the blessings of Allah upon me. Why? To test me if I will be thankful or I will disbelieve. Allahu Akbar. Look at this. He's saying this is to test me. So he's thanking Allah more. Many of us think when we're in goodness, it's all good. There's no test. Wallahi, we're being tested. إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَأَكْرَمَهُ وَنَعَّمَهُ فَيَقُولُ رَبِّي أَكْرَمًا What does Allah say? And as for insan, Allah says, when Allah tests him, how? By being generous and honorable to him, giving him the easy life. Allah calls it a test. We're being tested, brothers and sisters, in the good times and the easy times. In the good times to see whether we're thankful. And in the difficult times to see whether we can be patient. فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ عِبَادَ اللَّهِ Be God conscious of Allah. Don't take life for granted. Your children, your good home, financial standing, material well-being, the fact that your bills are paid and your house is paid for. Don't take it for granted. May Allah grant us the understanding. So if you intend Allah, Allah is going to test you, my dear brothers and sisters. For my brothers and sisters in the da'wah who are going through difficult times, it's a test. And you know what? To be great, you have to be pushed. You have to be pushed. Greatness is on the edge of destruction. Pushed right to the edge. You know when they say you're in an emergency? That's why it's called emergency. Because you emerge. You emerge. Wallahu <laughs> a'lam. This is just a rendition. The great people come out from emergencies. Huh? Allah says, أَمْ حَسِبْتُمْ أَن تَدْخُلُوا الْجَنَّةَ وَلَمَّا يَأْتِكُمْ مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ خَلَوْا مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ مَسَّتْهُمُ الْبَأْسَاءَ وَالضَّرَّاءَ وَزُلْزِلُوا حَتَّى يَقُولَ الرَّسُولَ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعَا مَتَى نَصْرُ اللَّهِ أَلَا إِنَّ نَصْرَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ Listen to this brothers and sisters. Allah says, you Anticipate getting into Jannah? Have you not looked at the examples of those before you? They were afflicted with trials and tribulations. And difficulties and, and, and that which they considered harmful. So severe it was that the earth beneath them shook. The people said, and not only the people, the Rasul, the Messenger said, They were on the edge, right on the edge. They said, when is the help of Allah coming? What does Allah say? When they are about to topple off the edge, Allah says, there. That, that is where Allah says, indeed the help of Allah is near, is near. You still need to be pushed a little bit more. Look at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He's being told your people are going to drive you out. The test is coming. Fasten your seatbelt. So if you're going through some turbulence in your da'wah, don't make it a sinful period for yourself. Emerge from it. Become better and stronger. Emerge from it. 
Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be also wise in our da'wah and create situations where people don't feel distressed. I'm not saying that. Sometimes it's just poor management, right? Stressful management. I call it the cliffhanger, the cliffhanger product or manual of, of, of management. And some people read cliffhanger man, uh, managerial books, well, I, you know, where you have to keep your teams always hanging off the cliff. <laughs> I'm not endorsing that. But I want to drive home my point. That you intend Allah, you're going to be tested. And how do I train myself? How do I train myself? Sheikh Sajid, you told us we need to have tarbiyah to work in the da'wah. We have to learn patience. And there's other things you have to learn like good morals, manners and etiquettes. How do I train myself? You know where you train yourself? You know where? tahajjud. You know what we're doing every morning? This has to be continuous for the person who wants to work for Allah. How do, why do I say this? Because this was what Muhammad was commanded to, to manage the turbulence he was going to get into. It wasn't one year, two years, right? Medina happened much later, brothers and sisters. 13 years in Mecca and going through three years da'wah in secret, ten years open da'wah, migrate, uh, sending the sahaba out, ta'if being stoned, people getting beat, beaten for la ilaha illallah, sanctions, they were sanctioned in the valley of Abi, uh, Abi Talib, <coughs> sanctioned, you know sanctions today? Yes, they were sanctioned, no trade, no food, no medicine, turbulence, wazulzilu, the earth shook beneath, how did Allah train his messenger? To remain sane amidst this insanity? Ya ayyuhal muzzammil Oh, you covered in cloth. Wrapped in clothes. Remember, he said, cover me, cover me. Qumi layla illa qalila. Stand the night, except for a little bit. Nisfahu awinqus minhu qalila. Half of the night, or a little bit less than half. أَوْ زِدْ عَلَيْهِ وَرَتِّلِ الْقُرْآنَ تَرْتِيلًا Or a little bit more than half. And recite the Qur'an. Why, O Messenger? Why should you do this? إِنَّا سَنُلْقِي عَلَيْكَ قَوْلًا ثَقِيلًا Because we're going to reveal upon you a weighty word. It's very heavy. You have to train yourself to receive it. You have to. Especially my team members in the audience. You have to wake up two raka'at before Fajr. Two raka'at, you have to. You have to, brothers and sisters. It's upon you now. I'm not saying it's wajib, but I'm saying you want to succeed, you've got to take the means of success. Two raka'at. Wallahi, brothers and sisters, how many from the Salaf said they saw people who passed away before them in their dreams? And they said, what did Allah do to you? He says, Allah forgave me. Why did Allah forgive you? For all the good you used to do? For serving the pilgrims? For giving water to so-and-so? For doing this to so-and-so? He said, no. For the fact that I read two raka'at before Fajr. Just two raka'at every day. Allah forgave me for that. It's a general message to everybody. But especially to the da'wah workers. My Al-Kothar team members. National Zakat Foundation. And Medina here. You specifically... And everybody else generally. You have to. Don't kid yourself. Don't be in oblivion. This is not a trend. Da'wah is not a trend, brothers. Like I said, the ilm is not a trend. This is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. More serious than life and death. This is Jannah and Jahannam. This is your standing in front of Allah on the day of Qiyamah. What more do you want? As evidence to make you understand how serious this is. This is your sanity in the grave. Don't be those who just believe in the unseen lip service. But the actions don't, they don't correspond. You see, I believe in, 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 in the life after death. But you live your life as if you think you're not going to die. You don't have substance in what you do. You don't remember Allah in what you do. When meetings happen, you have to be called a hundred times. Why do you have to be called? Do you think the da'wah needs you? If you intend Allah, should you be called more than once? If you know what you're doing, 
If you know what you're doing, and you're doing it for Allah, should you be called more than once? Should you have to be told more than once? Should you have to be reminded even once? <coughs> May Allah fix our understandings. Ameen. Ameen. Brothers and sisters, <coughs> our time has come to an end. I wanted to discuss with you today also. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam becoming a messenger. I told you, first he became a prophet with Iqra, and then later on he became a messenger. Inshallah tomorrow, we will discuss Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam becoming a messenger. I love you all for the sake of Allah. I never intended to scold anybody. I only intended to speak from my heart, heart to heart. People who I love for the sake of Allah. If I'm sincere when I say I love you for the sake of Allah, I must say what I said. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He's perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaitan and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. May Allah accept the sitting from us and make it a means of the ibadah of these blessed nights. That it is a means of us attaining Laylatul Qadr. And as we always ask, may Allah gather us in Jannah with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we can tell him how we sat together in the dunya learning from his amazing life and extracting lessons that were relevant in the century that we lived in. Ameen. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.